Welcome back. We are in Revelation chapter 10, verse 5. Let's go. Verse 5. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. So in verse 5, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land. So that angel has come to earth, he's down here, and he raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives in heaven and heaven. So we can look at a couple of different um, oaths to kind of get a better understanding of this. And we even know that God himself put himself under earth. Uh, we look in Hebrews 6:13. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. We can look at Hebrews 7:20, And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath. But he, with an oath, by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And we see Acts 2.29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath, to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. In Deuteronomy, just go one or two more, Deuteronomy 32, 40. It says, For I raised my hand to heaven, and say, As I live forever. And we see a Jew, like the Jewish oath swearing in, in Daniel 12, 7, Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his hand, his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever. So we see the oaths. Uh, they occurred both by Jesus and God and or God the Father and uh, the, the Jewish people with the swearing in. So that's what we have in mind here when we're looking up to this oath. And it says, and swore by him, and that's God the Father, swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it. Right? You can go back to Genesis and understand that God created everything. He created the heavens. He created the earth. He created the sea. And we're being reminded of that right here in Revelation. There are many people in this world today who believe differently. They believe that there either is no God, and we're here by accident. We're here because there was a quote-unquote Big Bang. We're here because of evolution. But remember, they can't prove evolution. It's a theory. You can't go back and observe evolution and process. You also can't go back and prove the Big Bang, 
that it came from nothing, that there was nothing that created it. And the Christian can't go back and prove that God was the beginning and the end, that there was nothing else. So either way you look at it, it requires faith. You either have faith that there's a God, one God, and that he fits the definition of God. He's an uncreated, intelligent being that could create us, that he could create an explosion, a big bang, that he could create the world. He'd speak it into existence as, as we believe that he did. Or you can believe that there was a gas, an atom, a molecule, something that somehow just created itself. It's unintelligent, but created itself, and then bam, created this world and created a fish, and that fish over time turned into, you know, grew legs, walked on the land, went from gills to lungs, and then turned itself into a person over billions of years. I, I just think it's so incredibly, so much easier to believe that there is a God who created an, uh, an uncreated, intelligent being who created us than to believe that we are here by chance, by accident, by something that is unintelligent. Uh, just because the unintelligent cannot create intelligent. It's never happened. It's never happened. A computer cannot create a man, for example. If I look at my calculator right here on my desk, I could look at it for the next trillion years and I can promise you it will never grow legs it will never start having a brain and talking to me and walking around and breathing it just won't happen and I can also look at that fish in the fish tank or the lizard the uh, bearded dragons that we have the tortoises and I can promise you over a trillion years they're still not going to turn into anything else so it takes faith either way and I think it takes very little faith to believe that there's a God who created everything. So, that's what we have in mind here, right here in this verse 6 of Revelation. It says that there should be delay no longer. Jesus is saying, I'm on the way. I've chosen to delay. And remember that his timetable is different than ours. A thousand years is like a day to him, and a day is like a thousand years. He sees the past, the present, and the future all at once. And a con continuum. We see it as, oh, there's the past of yesterday, the day before, the day before that, and the future, which we know is coming if we're still here to experience it. Uh, we don't know anything about the future. We can just guess, guesstimate, hypothesize, uh, etc., hope. But God sees it all at the same time. And so when he says no longer, he says it's coming. But to us, you know, just like Christmas, my kids, I mean, Christmas is a month and a half away at this point. And they're super excited. And they don't know if it's going to be tomorrow morning or when because my younger ones just don't have that concept of time. And that's like us. We don't quite have the concept of time. No, not quite. We don't at all have the concept of time that God has. But he's saying, I'm coming. Just be prepared. And he wants us to be prepared as if it's going to be in five minutes or tomorrow or next week in our minds so that we will be busy being about God's work. Not busy just at work. Not putting it off saying, ah, he's, it's been so long. It's been you know, 6,000 years since he created the world, and it's been um, you know, 2,000 years since Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. It's, it's just not going to happen in my lifetime. Nope, not going to happen. 
No, God wants us to think it's coming any minute so that we will be business, busy about his coming. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what do we see there? We see there that God is long-suffering, and we too are to be long-suffering. If we're living for heavenly, godly things, and we're surrounded by people who are focused on worldly, temporary things, we're going to suffer because of that. We're going to be made fun of. We're going to be kicked out of circles. We may not get the job promotion that we want because they're being worldly and not thinking uh, uh, heavenly. And they'll count it against us. They'll persecute us, etc. And it says, God's not willing that any should perish. So what does that mean? He, he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Not a single person. It says, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire is that every single man, woman, child would come to know him would come to accept Jesus as the Messiah, would come to repent, would come to declare that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. That's what God wants, and we see that right there in this verse. So if we know that, and we know that there's still people alive who do not know Jesus, then yes, we can sit here and be long-suffering in this life that has a lot of suffering in it, because there are people that we know on our street, and in our families, and in our schools, and in our jobs, and whatever, wherever, that don't know Christ. And they would go to hell if he came back. But, if they didn't accept him during the tribulation. But I want those people to accept Jesus. Now, I'm confident in my mind that they won't all. I wish that they would. And I want to tell more people about Jesus because I want more people to know Jesus. This is our duty. This is what we're called to do. The chief end of man is to glorify God. And we glorify God by serving others by telling them about Jesus, by being the hands and feet of, of Jesus so that they'll accept him because they've already got eternity in their hearts and they can accept us without them telling them. But we can certainly show them and tell them who Jesus is so that their heart can be softened, so that they can have more evidence. Some people just want to pile up the evidence and, until it's so strong that they have no, no other choice to believe. And some people believe pretty quickly uh, on an emotional basis or whatever, and then they start discovering God more. Either way is fine, just as long as it happens while we're still, while that person is still alive. And so he's coming. Don't doubt that. We may think it's a delay. We may think it's been a while. But he is, in fact, coming. And it says, delay no longer, verse 7. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is able to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets, so, in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel. So, we're going to have the seventh trumpet that's going to happen. It's not happening right now. And when it sounds, then the mystery of God would be finished. There's coming a time when all the questions you have and all the pain you're experiencing will be alleviated. Your questions will be answered. The mystery of God, and there's been several mysteries of God, and let me pull up... Um, where did they go? Give me one second. Ah, The mystery of God is mentioned eight times in the Bible. You can look in Matthew 13.35, Romans 16.25. Basically, the mystery of God is certain things that God has intentionally kept secret in his heart since the beginning of time. Some of which is he, he, he has made manifest over time. And he has used Old Testament prophecies to reveal some of those secrets and mysteries. And... 
when the seventh angel sounds in uh, chapter 10, the mystery will be finished, all of them. In 1 Corinthians 2.7, God tells us the mystery is the hidden wisdom ordained by God before the ages for our glory, hidden from rulers so that they would crucify Jesus. Because if they had known then, they would not have crucified Jesus. Ephesians 3, uh, 3, 8 to 10 tells us even more. Also, the Gentiles, one mystery is that, the, that God finally revealed is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and partakers with the Jews. And, and also that it's not the other way around. The wisdom in God is hidden in God, and he's now revealing it to Paul and to, from Paul to us. 1 Corinthians one twenty five tells us that the mystery is that the Messiah can dwell inside of the Gentile. So there's several mysteries throughout the Bible, and they will fully be complete. Uh, many have been revealed, but the f- finality of the mystery will be revealed and concluded with during the uh, or at the, during and or at the conclusion of the seventh trumpet. And the mystery, the last mystery of God, has to do with God's plan to punish all evildoers and usher in the kingdom of His Son. And as we noted, this is different than the mystery that pertained to the fact that the Jews and Gentiles alike would be part of God's plan. And so it hasn't been completed yet. And this is both future to us and future to the location of this verse. It, It appears that this will happen with the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, which reveals the final judgments of the bulls and the final establishment of God's rule on earth. And the last part of verse 7 says, As he declared to his servants, the prophets. Lord, thank you for revelation. Help us to learn revelation. It's the one book of the Bible where you specifically tell us that we will be blessed by reading it and studying it and hearing it. There's no other book of the Bible that tells us that. Of course, we know that we're blessed by reading the other books of the Bible, but you particularly state in this one that will be blessed so i think that's because you knew that many churches would not teach revelation and it's such an important book genesis and revelation are the bookends of the bible you need genesis and revelation in order to be able to properly interpret many parts of the balance of the of the word of god of the bible of scripture lord helps us to read this to study it to learn it to not be afraid or intimidated to not get dogmatic about certain things that are non-essential. We want to study it because it'll make us better, have a better understanding of you, and be better in our lives. But we don't need to go out and get in the intricacies with an unbeliever that the bottom line of Revelation is so that we can love on people better. So Lord, help us to go out and love on people to better, starting at home, and then at work, and then with anybody else. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Now it's time to go and make disciples to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to show people who Jesus is so that we have the right to tell them who Jesus is. I'd encourage you to share this by social media, text, or email with someone who you think could benefit from learning more about the Word of God. Have a blessed day.